helping kids be healthy and safe. It's a nice thing to do. It's kind, but it's more than that. It's primal, it's animal instinct, it's preservation of whichever species you happen to be a member of. It's not always easy, but it is, at root, simple. This idea, let us protect the kids. Except when it's not, like now. A year and a half into COVID, entering our third school year that will be affected by the virus. The vaccine has spread, but not far enough. Unavailable if you're under 12, which a lot of kids are. Safety measures are being taken, but not enough, especially by knuckleheads. And there have been well over 600,000 deaths. Young people live in a world that for them has not yet been formed. But whatever had been formed has been fractured, maybe shattered. A lot of them don't have a normal that they can remember, that they can imagine returning to. And it's messing them up. This is from the CDC. Compared with 2019, the proportion of mental health-related emergency department visits for children age 5 to 11 increased approximately 24%. For kids 12 to 17 years old, it was 31%. Children's Hospital of Chicago took a survey and found 71% of parents believe the pandemic has taken a toll on their child's mental health. 69% say the pandemic is the worst thing to happen to their child. I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking that one of the tougher parts of COVID has been having my kids quite logically ask what's going to happen with COVID and me not being able to give them really firm answers, especially in terms of timelines. Empathetically saying, well, I don't know for sure, is honest and it's humane, but it's not super helpful. And to me, that hurts. It sucks because I can't fulfill that brainstem-level instinct to help the kids and keep them safe. And now, here we are, and the school year, or what we're calling a school year, is beginning again. And our job remains the same as parents, as teachers and administrators, as childcare workers, as a community. Help kids be healthy and safe. So, let's figure out what we're dealing with and what we got to do. It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. This episode is coming out on Labor Day. Districts around the country are different, but symbolically, to me at least, this is when we head into the school year. Here in St. Paul, Minnesota, where I live, it's the last day of the Minnesota State Fair, a grand finale to summer, and the school year begins the next day. Wipe that cotton candy off your face, put on those new clothes, Grab the new pencil box we got you, and here, let me get a picture of you out on the front steps before sending you into... what? Something. We'll call it school. So, let's figure out how to do the best we can do. We have a school principal and a psychologist to talk with in this episode, and we'll get started after this. Welcome back. I'm sending us all to the principal's office. Ruby Ramirez is the principal of the School for the Talented and Gifted in the Dallas Independent School District. A warning about the audio, we did the interview over Zoom, not in a fancy recording studio, because Principal Ramirez has a school to run. I spoke with her in mid-August, four days into her new school year. 
the first thing that um, that is very obvious is the readjustment to coming back in in person. Um, last year we had about sixty percent, uh, but for most of the year we actually had about fifty percent of our of our students on campus in person. But got closer to the end of the year, maybe sixty percent. So for the most part, you've got anywhere between. You have about 40% of the students who have not been in person in school for 17 months, 17 school months since we went into the pandemic in 2020, March of 2020. So it's been quite some time. And so that's what we've seen as the biggest has been the adjustment to the schedules, the daily routines, getting acclimated with their peers, um, the socialization. And when they're struggling with something like that or when they're trying to, to catch up and reorient themselves... How does that show up? Like, what kind of behavior does that show up in? What are you noticing? When they're really struggling in the classroom, if there are any signs, it'd probably be more around not wanting to speak up, uh, not not wanting to participate, and um, not, not asking any questions, kind of just sitting and almost like disappearing into the background. So maybe if I don't say anything, no one will ask me a question, no one will notice that I'm here. And depending on the age in the teenagers, um, especially our our boys, um, you may have like having their hair very much outgrown, but then trying to cover their face, you know, little signs like that. And how much of that have you seen? The first day we we definitely had a lot more students that were uh, quieter and kind of gauge it by the cafeteria, gauge it by the hallways. Um, And so they were definitely quieter. Uh, You have some students that it's, it's the first time being on campus, uh, on our campus in particular. And so you would notice that, you know, maybe they, they don't also participate in discussions in the classroom. They kind of avoid some of that eye contact. But in our fourth day, honestly, our attendance has gone way up. Yes, we have students and we're, they're arriving on time and we're, we're keeping track of that. And, and just yesterday, we started doing some, we call them calibration walks. And so we're looking for student culture in, in the classroom. And we're seeing that for the most part, most students are adjusting. They really are. You mentioned that there is sometimes a reluctance to enter the classroom. Is that just they just don't want to go inside a room? So if there is anyone that is exhibiting that type of behavior, I've seen that in the past, you know, here for us, we didn't see that uh, as we opened the school year, but we were prepared. We prepared ourselves for all the different types of scenarios that we may see. And so before day one, you know, we had our teachers make sure that they reached out to their families at home, inviting them to meet the teacher night. We're excited to have them. You know, I have your son such and such. It was very individualized so that they could look forward to. I had a parent session prior to the school starting to uh, give parents tips. So for us here, we have not seen what we were expecting to see, right? So that that is actually, that's a very good thing for us on our campus, but we definitely knew some of the things that we needed to do prior to the school year opening. And again, that does not mean that we don't have any students on our campus that are not exhibiting any of those behaviors, but we're definitely not having a lot of students. You know, I can count them on one hand, maybe that they just need a little bit more of support. Do you think that's a result of anticipating a need and and doing these steps that you talked about before the kids ever show up? Most definitely. And actually, we notice more of more of these, let's call them antisocial behaviors in the previous school year. 
with students being virtual. So there was almost like learned behaviors that were starting to pop up, such as not unmuting, right? There might, because we had Zoom classes, those that stayed on Zoom or students that, you know, they, they would miss a first period or a last period or, or maybe even their hardest classes, that those are the ones that they would always be sick. So those were things that we were starting to notice. So we started to look for interventions or first training, right? Let's, let's first identify, let's first train our staff on mental health. What are some signs? How do we seek help? And what do we need to change on our campus to make sure that there is a more of a sense of a community? Because, you know, in some of our training that, that we did have with mental health first aid through mental health first aid of greater Dallas was the organization that supported us with this training um, was that the sense of community is one of those key steps to ensure that we, anyone who's been subject to trauma can recover. And 100% of us had been subject to trauma because we're, we're living in a pandemic. We're having this session via Zoom, but imagine it being every single day. And so not being able to just lean over to your friend and say, hey, how is it going? You couldn't do that. So there were a lot of things that we knew we needed to work on right away. Um, and we started with what we could control and then tried to provide help for, for families that things that, you know, are out of our control, but we, we try and support them. So that definitely happened because in the previous year, all across, you know, schools um, in the nation, they were experiencing these, these, these trends with students. We are in a pandemic. There's the Delta variant. And I know in Texas, there's all sorts of political issues in play about about masking in the school. Um, it's a it's a lot for a fourth grader or for an adult, for that matter, to, to carry on their shoulders. How's how's the anxiety in your school? So overall, for our our campus, you know, our, our, our superintendent instated a mask mandate. And it was before the start of school for our campus. Our, our district actually has three different calendars. And so we're on the base calendar, which is more of a traditional school starts in August, ends in May. And so um, he issued a, a, a mass mandate. And what the feedback we received from our families on our campus, as those who are those that I can speak to, they were relieved. They were very much relieved. They were wondering about certain things. But once that mass mandate got in place, there was a sense of relief. And we have not been as impacted with attendance as maybe other schools where there may be no-show students because of the mask mandate or any, any other things that may be happening politically. I would say, though, previous to that happening, there were feelings of anxiety on the part of teachers, on the part of parents, because we would get the questions of, you know, is there any way that if there's not going to be mask required that virtual learning could be an option kind of thing? And so... There were a lot of questions. And overall, that that's what helped the anxiety level just drop. We'll see what happens is, you know, we can't control those things. Things may change as far as mass mandates go, but we're hopeful that no matter what, we can make sure that we continue with the, our safety procedures to keep parents' uh, anxiety levels down and students also anxiety levels down about who's getting sick and who might get sick and all of that, you know, kids are always watching. And I, I would like to say that something that I have also learned is adults and students, they are watching what is addressed and what is not addressed, right? So let's give this example, masks are mandated. Okay, 
But if you are allowing someone to be without a mask and you just kind of brush that off, they're watching. So those that don't want to wear one, for example, will say, okay, great. That means maybe I can get away with it. Those that do, and that is their safety net, that's when the anxiety. So there, it's got to be consistency. So I, I wonder if the, the masks, which seemed like such a, a burden uh, for people early on in the pandemic, sounds like they're now giving the students, and I'm sure the, the teachers and the parents and the, and the staff, uh, more of a sense of security. Yes, there is more of a sense of security, um, especially in our youth. And the things that I have seen in on our campus, our students are very informed. They have their own opinions about things. And the vast majority of them, they want to contribute to keeping the community safe. And if that means a mask, they are on board with it. That's Ruby Ramirez, a principal in the Dallas Independent School District. Seems like a lot of the relative success that she's had has come down to knowing what the issues were ahead of time, setting up for those issues. So let's do some more of that, understand what's going on and, and what to do about it after this break. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week on Bullseye, David Byrne on the talking heads, easing back into live performance, and the magic of doo-wop. You don't get it very much, people doing dip 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 whoa, whoa, ma 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 You don't get a lot of that. <laughs> Listen to Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey, podcast fan. We'd like to get a better idea of who you are and what you care about. So we have a quick favor to ask. If you have a few minutes to spare, please go to MaximumFun.org slash ad survey. There, we've got a short anonymous survey that will take about five minutes to fill out. Plus, if you finish it, you'll get a 10% discount on merch at the MaxFun store. MaxFun shows have always relied on support from our members and always will. This survey will help keep the few ads we do run interesting and relevant to you. That's MaximumFun.org slash ad survey. A-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y. All one word. And thanks for your help. Robin Gerwich is a psychologist and a professor in psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Duke University School of Medicine. I asked her what we know about the mentality of K through 12 students in general going into this year. This has been a long, strange journey to borrow from the Grateful Dead. And mm -hmm. I think it's true for, for everyone. Um, children, teenagers, parents, teachers, everyone. And so as the school year is starting back up, there is some anxiety and worry. Um, there's also some excitement. So I think children are trying to balance both of those. We know to say that the pandemic has not been good for children's mental health would be a huge understatement. We know from the science that there has been an increase in anxiety, worries, depressions, fears, even some PTSD for kids. 
that has continued even as the school year has started in some places or will start soon in others. But so has adults. Our, our mental health has taken a giant hit. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, we're, we're, all, uh, we're all in the same uh, <laughs> sort of fractured ship in choppy waters together. So how to approach that then? I mean, obviously, some kids are weathering it differently than other kids, just as some adults. Are there, are there broad things to keep in mind? Is, is there a way of like a mindset that the adults around these young people can have to make it easier to look for red flags? Like, how, how should we be thinking of this going sure. into the year? So I think the first and foremost issue is if adults are truly, truly committed to making the school year as positive and as safe and healthy as possible to reduce the worries and anxieties of everyone in the school system, wear a mask. I don't know how else to say it. Wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask. My favorite t-shirt from COVID is a caricature of Albert Einstein holding a rainbow beaker. And it says science. It's like magic, but it's real. The <laughs> science is telling us the best way to protect our children, particularly from the Delta variant that is taking the lives of children. I, I heard recently that ICU beds for children are rapidly depleting. And as one physician said, sadly, if your child needs an ICU bed in some states, the sad thing is you will have to wait for a child to die first before mm. your child can have it. If we want our children to be safe, we must figure out how to take away the politicization of masks and make it a public health issue. It will reduce the worry for children and teachers all over the place. Second, I think as we move forward, it is imperative that families have conversations with their kids. Talk about it. Ask them. Uh, you know, tell me what you're most excited about and validate that. Tell me what you're most worried about. And don't try to talk them out of their feelings as adults. Has that ever worked for you if somebody tried to talk you out of a feeling? If we can talk to them, if we can listen to what their worries are, what do they understand about the coming school year or the school year starting, we will hear lots of misinformation and misattributions, misperceptions, correct those. Because sometimes they'll fill in the blanks or they have these ideas that they got from someone on social media that is so not true that's making their worries much worse. If we can, if we can talk to them calmly, find out how, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, correct those, that can help. I think start now if you haven't already, um, putting in a routine and into your day that's getting up and getting ready for school to meal times, bedtimes, homework times, fun, relaxed times, quiet times, all of those things. Routine and schedule is incredibly important to helping reduce stress. It is not the be all and end all, but it sure does help. So, I mean, we're talking about this Delta variant, especially, we're talking about kids in emergency rooms. We're talking about kids dying. Is there a way to really honestly 
handle that. I mean, like you want kids to be calm, but damn, like there, there's a very grim reality <laughs> out there. So how there do you is. manage this this kind of horrible truth or this horrible possibility with the need to have a functional school day, have a, you know, like not right. consume oneself with anxiety and work. Right. So I think as children head off to school, to have them thinking as they're heading out, what's one thing they're looking forward to as they go into the school day. So they're going in with some sense of this will be good. I think uh, it is also important for us to talk to children about this is how you can keep yourself safe. This is how you can keep those around you safe, your teachers, your friends, other people in your school safe. This is what we're doing at home. This is what we're doing in the community. So have a frank discussion with children about the steps that the family is taking for safety and what their role in it is. When you as a as a expert are thinking about uh, kids this fall, fall of 2021, are you looking more to what damage has the last 18 months done? Or are you looking more towards what's the risk of the current circumstances? Like what stands out at you more? So as a psychologist, we certainly have been looking at what this last year has been like for our children, including um, educational issues. And I think there isn't anyone around that wouldn't say the best place for children to be is in the classroom, uh, as long as it can be in a classroom that's safe for everybody, for everyone. I think we know that children, the majority of children, have taken have it's not that they haven't learned anything it's just the amount of academic knowledge that we would typically see in a school year was not where we would expect it to be as this next school year starts so it's not that oh my gosh we've lost a child an entire year it's rather okay we we instead of taking a giant leap maybe we took five or ten baby steps forward So as we look ahead to the 21-22 school year, a couple of things to keep in mind. One, it's not just the academics that have taken a hit, but it's also social-emotional learning that have taken a hit. School is a place for children to learn how to become independent, how to make friends, how to navigate different situations. So we need to support that as well. I think as we move forward for teachers to think about what can I provide in the classroom that's going to meet my goals but not overwhelm? So do I really need to do 100 math problems or can I meet the goal if I just do 25 or 50? You know, is 100 pages of reading necessary or can we do a discussion and 20 pages? So teachers will need to think through that. I think as we go into this school year, it, parents and teachers also are serving as extremely important role models. How are we managing it? Are we, are we walking forward in a confident manner that I know that if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm doing everything I can to keep you safe, to keep me safe, and to keep us moving forward? I know that things may change, but I'm keeping up with it, so I'll be able to share that with you. It's not that As an adult, I can't say, you know, I'm worried too, but here's what I'm doing about my worry. So 
It may be teaching your children some basic relaxation and breathing techniques if they get really worried. And it's not just for COVID. It can be right before you have to play in a piano recital, engage in a, in a sporting event. If I can find ways to, to, to calm my body, I do better. Learning is improved because stress will impact academics. Children that are high stress will have a harder time concentrating, harder time with attention, harder time learning new information. So as adults, if we want to make this year of learning better or to help children reach this their potential, we need to make sure that they have the skills moving forward and we've, we've helped them reduce some of their worries and anxieties. Wear a mask, get a vaccine. <laughs> I mean, even if the goal, even if the potential is just to have as peaceful and pleasant a life as possible <laughs> like leaving leaving aside what college you're going to go to or how you do on a standardized test yes. like you know yes. get just getting to that yes and i think you know honestly too we can't just look at covid in a silo this last year plus has also we have to integrate um, the social justice movement we have to integrate the rise in racism. We have to integrate the tearing off and shining a light on the disparities in education, in health, in mental health. And so it'd be great if we could put everything in silos and do one at a time, but that doesn't happen. They're all smished together. And so every family is going to have to deal with these. If I, my family is white, so I don't have the same conversations as a BIPOC family will have, but I sure better have a conversation with, with my white children about what they can do to support their, their friends and classmates of color if they see something bullying or racism happening. People who listen to this show know that, that I often end up talking about this when it comes to kids. It's, it, it really points out that if, if someone has an idyllic view of childhood as like, that's when things were so easy, you know, that's when things didn't really matter. You, you're so carefree. You know, I, I have some kids I can introduce them to who would, who would set them straight. It's an incredibly, you know, COVID aside, it's an incredibly stressful time. Right. And then now even more so, like, do you, it's, there's a big challenge ahead of us as parents to just, even before we get to the point of helping them to just be on the same planet as what they're going through. <laughs> I, I agree because the worries that children have going into school are still there in spite of everything else. So worrying about moving from elementary to middle school when I have to navigate a locker. Oh my gosh, what if I forget it? When I have to change classes, will I make friends? Will people like me? How will I fit in? Moving into high school, what will that comes with its own set of, of worries and anxieties, independent of COVID. Even just going into kindergarten or first grade, those are big, big changes too. So all of those are still there. Those do not disappear just because we have bigger worries, right? So for children, those worries are pretty big. Those worries are pretty significant. So we have to recognize those. I think, again, we don't have a playbook for 
for um, COVID. Well, we have a good science playbook for COVID if people would just read it. But I think what we don't have, we don't have a manual for parenting that I can just turn to the chapter on signs of anxiety during a pandemic. And there's what I look for. So I think it is important for parents to be aware if they see changes in their child, if they see their child having problems with sleep or appetite, if they are withdrawing, if kids are having more meltdowns, if they're telling you, I'm scared or worried or I don't see much hope in the future, don't blow it off. Listen and acknowledge it. There are wonderful resources for parents that are available that can give you some ideas of what to look for and how to support children that are free. And I'll be happy to to send you some that you can share yeah. with listeners. We'll put those in the show notes. If you're listening to this, you can go look them up there. There's also helplines. I think as adults, we're struggling too. This is not something that we have ever been through before. It's okay to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I need a little bit of help so I can be a better parent, a better teacher, better whatever. And part of it is truly modeling for our students and our kids, especially how we take care of ourselves, that we build in some self-care. The other thing that we have really not talked about as this school year has started, I mean, there have been over 600,000 deaths. That includes teachers, that includes classmates, that includes family members of students and school personnel. So grief is very different during this pandemic than in other circumstances in that we can't always engage in the same cultural religious rituals because of the restraints. We could not say goodbyes. We know they're there, but we can't say the goodbyes. So this is creating more complicated bereavement, which will impact academics. So they really do go hand in glove. We need to be aware of that. We need to acknowledge it. And so schools need to be openly communicating with families about any changes or what's happening. But it works the other way, too. If something's happening for the child, it's incumbent upon us as parents to let the schools know so they can best help our students. It's, it's funny you mention grief because the, a lot of the rituals, as you say, haven't been able to take place and so the whole process is prolonged. Like I've, I've been kind of comparing this whole thing to, you know, if, if you're in a car wreck, you can't really stop to inspect for damage until after the car has come to a stop and we're still spinning out on the highway. You know, it's, it's, we're not even there yet. But what I see, and without revealing too much of my kids' personal lives, keep, you know, keeping a boundary here, but I've been talking to a lot of kids and it seems very similar to grief to me. Like there's moments of, you know, I'm getting through it. I'm, things are going okay. There's unexpected moments of totally falling apart. There's yes. sadness, there's anger. I mean, yes. I've, I've been through grief as an adult and it reminds me of, of that kind of, you know, it's jagged line that goes along. And I think you are absolutely right, John. There is grief from death which is its own set of issues and circumstances. And then there's grief and loss, 
from missed milestones, from expectations, from my vision of what it would be or how it should be that are there. Families across the country are also dealing with grief and loss issues related to food and housing and job insecurities that are taking its toll. And so I I think you're right. I think children will have these moments that are very similar to the grief you're talking about, and it's real. You know, one of the things I was talking to some physicians recently about uh, high school sports, big thing, big thing in communities, high school sports, something about sports. We know that life is sort of coming on an even keel when sports are coming back. So I said, what do you think? He said, yeah, if they wear masks, if they're wearing masks in the stands, if they are wearing masks um, when they are not on the field, if there's if if we are abiding by what we know will keep people safe, then we can go back to sports. If we don't, it's going to be super spreader events that are going to kill people in the stands or bring it home and severely impact people they bring it home to. You know, when we think about what are things we can do besides schedules, besides building in some coping strategies, we also letting children have a voice of what would you like to do? How would you like our family's plan to be and your role in it? We know that when we're suffering or we're struggling, maybe suffering is not the right word, when we're struggling with stressors or other things, when we help people that may be going through the same thing, we do better. And that helps children too. So it could be really simple. It could be, you know, when I before I go out to the bus stop, I'm going to pull my neighbor's trash cans up. I'm doing something to help. It may be that I'm inviting somebody that is left out to sit at my lunch table or to sit next to me on the bus. If children can find ways, teens find ways that they can also reach out to help someone else, they will actually be doing better themselves. So maybe parents can talk to them. What's one thing you might want to What's one thing you're going to do today? It's These conversations are critical, but they're not one and done. It is important to continue to check back in. It's important to check in. If you know that your child is going off to school and they have a plan, I'm going to do X today. When they come back, check in. If they were successful, celebrate the tiny victories. If they struggled with it, problem solve so they can make some adjustments and try again tomorrow. I'm curious your thoughts on on this. My my daughter told me uh, about some comic she saw where uh, a sixth grader is arriving for the first day of of middle school and asks a seventh grader, "Hey, I'm looking for room two o three." Seventh grader says, "I don't know, man. It's my first day here myself. I wasn't able to come in all last year." So they go find an eighth grader. The eighth grader says. That was two years ago. I have no idea. I can't remember that far back. <laughs> so nobody can find room 203. And the the sense of order that used to be there for a lot of these kids has, has collapsed. And the social order, the social network that they had, non-electronic, like actual in-person mm-hmm. social network, has in many cases collapsed. Kids move through friendships. They move through identities. They move through groups. Exactly. And... That's all been effectively wiped out. That's been starved out of existence. It's and w- been it's been altered significantly. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so what impact does that have when so many people have to effectively start over? What anxiety does that build and, and what what does that do? Absolutely. I think as children are going back, that's one of the biggest worries. Well, I have friends. Well, my friends still want to be my friends. You know, I've been with them on Zoom, but it's not the same mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, chatting in the hall, even if we're not in the same classes. So talking to your kids about what are they going to do to be able to make those friends, to reestablish those connections? How are they? What's their plan? I think schools, many schools are having orientations for the very reason that that comic depicts. Because, yeah, if I'm a seventh or eighth grader or ninth grader and going into high school or a 10th grader, I didn't do ninth grade orientation. So I have no idea where things are. So we're thinking about how we need to acknowledge what a lot of these young people have been through. We've got to acknowledge and recognize the gravity of it. We need to be having these conversations. We need to be having these practices. We need to be sharing in the conversations and in the, the hopes and fears and the everything with these young folks. Let me ask you this. Where are you seeing the hope? Because we're coming out of a pandemic. It's been horrible. In many ways, it's going to be horrible for a long time. In some ways, it's going to be horrible forever. Where do you see the hope? What What's a smile on your face when you think about the future of of this topic? As a psychologist, if I didn't believe that change and hope was possible, I should probably go find a new job. So I do think that there is quite a bit of hope. I think if you talk to some kids or adults, what's the one thing you learned about yourself that is unexpected in this last year? I think most people would be able to tell you one strength that they didn't appreciate before, or one talent that they didn't know that they had, but they cultivated during COVID. So being able to touch base with that. I think one of the things that COVID did, it helped many of us reassess priorities. And so I think hopefully we take that forward. Um, We have been talking about them. I I am um, a, a very active part of the National Child Traumatic Stress Network. And, um, Throughout this last, as as things are reopening, we've been having many, many, many um, summits and think tanks and writings, and we started referring to these things as COVID keeps. What's something that happened during this pandemic experience that you want to keep and go forward? It may be new relationships with your siblings, your parents, your grandparents that you want to keep and move forward. It may be that you really can If something happened and you had to pivot back and have some classes in a hybrid model again, you can do that. You know how to get on a Zoom and maybe maybe you didn't before. There may be other COVID keeps just in how we treat each other. I would like to hope, um, you know, I'll put on my Pollyanna hat. I would really like to hope that as we move forward that we are a more kind nation, that our children have realized that the person that's in the grocery store checking them out deserves to be noticed and talked to and thanked for what they do so that we begin to appreciate each other a little better. I'm not so Pollyannish that I don't also recognize the turbulent times and the divides that are there 
And so the question is, how do we have those conversations? How do we monitor for our children? I, I look sometimes at some of these things on TV of people screaming and yelling and calling each other horrific names. And I think, is this what you want your child to see? Is this, is this the model for your child? And so I think if we could just keep that in the back of our minds, what are we teaching our children from our behaviors? Maybe we come out a little better. And if we show our children that we understand science, what some people do not appreciate right now, is we are watching science happen live. In general, all these studies, all these things take place and then we get the final result. We are watching it live. And because we are watching it live, that's why things change. That's why in the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't have enough data that told us that masks would be helpful. As soon as we did, it changed. Nobody questions why, you know, we went from my Apple phone makes me update things on a regular basis. I don't say, well, wait a minute, Apple, you know, how come I have to update it? The last system was working just fine. Why are you changing this on me? Quit changing your story. That's what science is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It changes. So I, I'm still just a little unclear, uh, Robin, on, on your position on masks. Do you think people <laughs> should wear them? Not wear them. It's Only a little... if they'd like to live. Only <laughs> if they'd like to keep people around them healthy and well. Do okay. we like it? No, you're not going to have anybody saying, gosh, I hope I never have to take my masks off. Nobody is out there saying this is the greatest thing in the world. But people are saying this is where we are. This is what we need to do for now. And if we want our children to grow up with a respect for science, with a respect for understanding of and to be there tomorrow, and for us to be able to watch them grow up, then we need to put our masks on and get a vaccine as soon as we can. Robin Gerwich from Duke University School of Medicine. If the name Gerwich sounds familiar, Robin happens to be the cousin of Annabelle Gerwich, who co-hosts the Tiny Victories podcast here on the Maximum Fun Network. What stays with me after working on this episode is the real lack of simple solutions to this whole mess. The lack of do this, it'll work, everything will be fine kind of answer. There's no mental health equivalent of penicillin, right? But at least we know that. We're in a jungle, and when you're in a jungle, it's no good to hear someone say you're actually in a park. And here's the thing. If you listen to this podcast on any kind of regular basis, you know what I say about addressing mental health obstacles, and that is you gotta try stuff. If there was a universal treatment for all mental health problems, everyone would just take that and we wouldn't need depression mode. But it doesn't work that way. Different things are effective for different people in different situations. The young people in your life have been through the same traumatic situation we all have. It's everybody's first pandemic. We have all dealt with more than our minds are set up to handle. So, see what works for you and for your young folks. Tinker. Write it down. Send it to me if you want. I'd love to read it and share it. We're all in this together. Next time on Depression Mode, growing up in a rough home doesn't always prepare you especially well for a career as a performer. 
The real coping skills is that I spent my entire childhood, and this is not good for my career, trying not to be trouble, trying to not get in the way, trying to get out of the way, trying not to be noticed. And I am in show business. Uh, that is not a positive experience. Comedian Jackie Cation on comedy, family, and navigating a life. Hey, if people support our show through a small donation, we continue to exist. If not, we don't. If you donate, you make Depression Mode happen, and thank you. If you haven't donated yet, it's so easy. Find a level that works for you at MaximumFun.org join. The show sounds different when you're one of the people making it happen. Also, give our sponsors a shot. Use those discount codes they offer. You're getting good stuff cheaper, and you're helping the show. We love it when you recommend Depression Mode to friends. Also, something that matters a lot. Hit subscribe. Give us five stars. Write reviews. That helps people find out about the show, which helps our goal of getting those conversations happening and then, uh, and then curing all mental illness. So really, that's what it comes down to. Just give us five stars and mental illness goes away. It's so simple. I don't know why we didn't think of it sooner. Anyway, I, uh, not all of that is true, but do please hit subscribe and give us those five stars. I want you to know that the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 for free at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. The Crisis Text Line, also free and always available. Text HOME to 741-741. Let us know who you want me to interview, what issues you want to hear more about. We take requests. We want to, we're tinkering with the show. We're always tinkering with the show it's always a rehearsal so tell us uh tell us what you'd like to hear more of so send us an email our electric mail address is depression mode at maximumfun.org if you're on facebook look up our mental health discussion group Preshies. great talk going on over there a lot of a lot of ideas being kicked around some related to the show some just people helping each other out we're on twitter and instagram at depression pod our depression mode newsletter is on substack search that up I'm on Twitter, at John Moe, all one word. Hello, credits listeners. Among the X-Men characters in comic books are I Scream, E-Y-E, Scream, who can turn into any flavor of ice cream. Get it? And also another character, Soft Serve, who can poop ice cream at will, in case those skills are somehow helpful and not merely gross. It's like lactose intolerance is now a, a, a superhero ability, a superpower, and uh, not just a, a irritable bowel syndrome. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings. No one knows the reason. Maybe there's no reason. I just keep believing. No one knows the answer. Maybe there's no answer. I just keep on dancing. Hi, this is Elizabeth from the Monterey Bay in California, and you are not alone in this. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Bye now.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.